all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, welcome to the lost episode of Golf Drinking and Life, the so-called lost episode. This episode was originally recorded on October 13th. We had some technical issues and my voice was lost. Um, We ended up releasing a four-minute podcast update that week and then brought you the Medieval Torture episode on October 20th, which was kind of a recreation of this, so... Um, it's probably some of it's a lot of the same stuff, but this was the actual first version of that. So while, while I'm here, I just want to take this time to thank all of our listeners. Um, this will be our 17th episode, really our 16th episode. I think it was a good first season. I want to thank Keith Slocum and Mark Blackburn and also my father, James McKern, um, for, for being guests on the podcast. All the guests were interesting. Those episodes have done very well. We will be back on with new episodes in season two, um, probably starting in February. Um, we're going to have some new guests lined up and um, going forward. Hopefully we'll have some exciting stuff. Everybody be safe out there. Um, you're welcome to email the show. All that information is in the upcoming intro. So again, welcome to the lost episode of Golf Drinking and Life. All right, welcome to another episode of Golf, Drinking, and Life. My name is Colin McKern. I'm a PGA professional and a Callaway staff member here in Mobile, Alabama. My co-host is my brother, Corey McKern, a professional opera singer in Pensacola, Florida, also a professor at the University of West Florida. Corey? Hey, man. How's it going? Good, good. What's going on? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Doing all right. Yeah. Uh Kind of into the routine of life, which is good. We have a uh, a very tight schedule around the McKern house. We've been uh, employing that daily. Well, I think we should start with our normal topic of conversation, which is the weather. Man. It is friggin' hot. It's October 13th, and it is just hot. Yeah, it's, think- uh, it's crazy hot. It's ridiculous. So it, I think it was 87 here today with felt like at least 80% humidity. Yeah, this is when the fatigue starts setting in of, you know, this started in like May and still in October, the sun, I walk out today and the sun is just beating on my face. I can't even drive the kids off at school. I got to fix the visor and put on sunglasses. <laughs> well, I like it. You know, the problem is this time of year, not all, you know, sometimes the heat drags out like it's doing, but also the sun is lower in the sky at this point of the year. So not only is it hot, it's like right in your face all day. And yeah. there's just a little, I mean, like at seven o'clock in the morning and at seven o'clock at night for like 10 minutes, there's just a little, you almost feel a little bit of cool. Get your hopes yeah. up. And then if you get out and play golf in the middle of the day like I've been doing, it's just hot. So there's supposed to be a cold front coming through this weekend, and it's supposed to be lovely next week. Yeah, good. We deserve it. We've made it. This is what, you know, we pay for in July than what we earn in October, November, December, January. Because while in New York, everyone's freezing, we have nice weather. Can you imagine going to a football game right now, sitting in the concrete stadium, shoulder to shoulder with 80,000 of your best friends at a 2.30 game? 
Uh, that's when right it, yeah. 86, normal temperature, probably 99 in the stadium. I mean, was, I was in the you know the marching band at Mississippi State, and I uh, can tell you it was uh, not a delight the first part of the season day games. I can't imagine because uh, it's not like y'all's uniforms are, are made for the for that kind of weather. No, certainly not. Not then. I think we just wore our regular uniforms. Now I think they do something different. And like when we were in high school, we had regular band uniforms and then what looked like like Jamaican police uniforms, like <laughs> those did white a little bit. Shirts yes. with short sleeves and like a a pith <laughs> helmet, like we're out hunting hippopotamus. I don't remember that. Uh, that was in high school. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that. Do you ever just put on one of your band outfits these days and just go strolling through your local mall or eatery? Oh, yeah, every, probably four or five times a week. Uh, that would be something no, worth I, getting on video. I can see a new show right now. I did. Uh, a couple years ago, like before the pandemic, I was in like Olympic conditioning. And when I was in high school, like senior in high school, I weighed like 195. And at the time, like two years ago, I weighed like 193. So I uh, I did put my drum major uniform on. Of course, mom has it in her upstairs guest room closet, along with a variety of other uh, jackets, sweatshirts, and other items from the 70s through the early 2000s, um, but including my, my drum major uniform. And I did put it on. It fit delightfully well, and I did text it to a few people. So I'll send you the picture. So what piece of clothing did you find that you actually brought back with you? It had to be one well, piece. No, a, well, a jacket, something. Come on, I your parachute I'm pants, sure. something. No, I think there was some, it was a, a mixture of uh, like, like cut-off jeans from mom's high school and like golf shirts from your previous golf course. So I had on a pair of cut-off jeans and a golf shirt. I looked great. <laughs> I'm sorry, Corey. No cutoffs at Isaiah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We draw the line at cutoffs. So I want to thank all our listeners. We're in 17 countries and now 330 cities. Please continue to share and spread. You can follow me on Twitter at Colin McKern, and you can email the show any suggestions, critiques, um, whatever you'd like. Golf drinking life at gmail.com. I want to thank all the people who have continued to reach out and share their personal stories and struggles. Um, it's 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 interesting to hear these and, and glad for people to open up. Is that um, a pretty regular occurrence? Obviously, we're not going to share them on the show. Uh, Mike Smith from Syracuse, New York. Uh, um, it kind of goes a serious problem. It goes in streaks. People reach out on Facebook and um, on other avenues sometimes, and it, it kind of. It, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes I get a couple of weeks. Sometimes I don't get any for a couple of weeks. So um, we, and we've talked about some of it on the show early on. I think early on, we got a little bit more than we have lately. Um, don't forget new episodes come out every Thursday morning, usually right after midnight, actually Wednesday night. We're on any of your podcast carriers, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Google podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, tonight, I'd like to give a shout out to Paul Taylor, PGA professional in Birmingham. Paul teaches at our old stomping ground, Oak Mountain State Park, which is this a little bit of a bizarre story. So Paul, Paul Taylor was in my position at Isaiah City that I took back from him oh, because wow. he moved to Birmingham with his wife. 
So, oh, nice. so yeah, so this is the connection. And I don't think me and Paul have ever met, but we've kind of become internet friends because we have a, um, we have a Isaiah city combo group page, Corey on Facebook, which you are now a member of, I believe. Yes. Yes. I think that's an invitation only group. And Paul's a member of that. So we'll post funny stuff. And I post funny things about some of the regulars at, um, Isaiah city who are also on that page. It's not posting behind their back. And so me and Paul have drummed up a little friendship through that. And uh, so Paul, ironically, is now teaching at Oak Mountain, where I grew up working. So it's it's kind of a yeah, me too. kind of an interesting deal there. Um, but if if you're looking for lessons in the Birmingham area, contact Paul Taylor. His email address is P D is in David Taylor T A Y L O L O R. 88 at gmail.com mention the uh name golf drinking and life podcast when you contact him and i'm sure he'll be happy to give you a good dealer good deal paul actually <laughs> <That's> <laughs> jack, jack dealer wow <laughs> uh paul actually reached out after um some conversations we had and um was interested in advertising with the show and so since we are not quite to advertising level quite yet i thought i'd give paul some free advertisement here and let's see if it works at all. And uh, yeah, you give know, a plug. When, when we, when we grow the show, then we'll make another arrangement, Paul. So yeah. just remember Paul Taylor was our first advertiser. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, you don't have to pay anything now, but 10% of all your future earnings, if you get a certain amount of students is fine for the rest of your life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It seems reasonable. Yeah. Whether the show stays on or not. Correct. Yeah, and it's just good business. So also, um, if, if you're new to the podcast, please uh, start with episode one. It just gives you some context about why we started this podcast. And um, but basically, I'm 15 months sober. And um, uh, 15 months ago, I almost died from severe cirrhosis of the liver and uh, luckily did not. And so here we are now, 14 episodes into our podcast. So, and uh, this week you just, I mean, you still have to go back and get some tests and such, right? Yeah. So, we talked about last week. I had to, um, last week I went for routine doctor's visit, which included a ultrasound for my liver. He saw what he described as a dark portion of the right lower lobe. And so, um, I had to get an MRI today. Which, for those of you who have had an MRI, I've had three in the last 15 months, or four. It's medieval. It's absolutely medieval torture. It's what they should do daily to the patient, the uh, prisoners at Guantanamo Bay. They, they <laughs> basically how- stick you in a tube that is roughly about an inch and a half from your nose and eyeballs. And um, completely your whole body in there. And then they they proceed to buzz uh, noises, and it sounds like somebody's hitting the tube with a wrench at some point. You do have headphones on, and you can choose music, which is fine, but about every 10 seconds, they come in on the music and say, take a deep breath in, hold your breath. So you're in there holding your breath while things are beating on the side. And normally, they'll give you the option to put like a... Uh, it's not a blindfold, but they'll put like a cloth over your eyes before you go in. So that way, just your eyes are covered. 
And today he didn't mention it. And I didn't think about it till I got in there. And I made the mistake of right when they put me all the way in there, I opened my eyes and realized how of what, how much of a confined space I was in. And I shut yeah. my eyes immediately and held them shut the rest of the time, which is about 20 minutes like a kid on Christmas Eve scared that he might see Santa and not get any gifts. <laughs> uh, because I thought if I look how close I am to this too, one more time, I'm going to have a full on panic attack. And I am not claustrophobic mostly people, but these things are medieval. I'm telling you. Um, uh, a couple things here. Plus you got, uh, how long? I got an IV in my arm too, because they put some kind of dye into you, which by the way, right before they roll you in, they also say this might cause a bad taste in your mouth. And now you're thinking, Oh good. Now you're going to put me in a closed tube or the ceiling's an inch from my face. And I'm going to throw up all in it because of this IV you've just hooked up and drowned in my own vomit. Asphyxiate. Yes. So that's, yeah, that's the um, thought they roll you into the coffin in. And then I made the mistake opening my eyes. So my suggestion would be to anybody going to one of these things, it's not that bad, but get the cloth over your eyes. So that way, even if you open your eyes, you can't tell how close you are. If you don't know how close you are, you might as well be laying in a field, right? I, I guess. Okay. How long is it? It was about 20 minutes, which is a long time when you're counting every second. <laughs> yeah, they should have put that. I can't believe they forgot that cloth. Yeah. I mean, were you like, hey, what what up? No, because I also have my mask on when they rolled me in there. And then I started to lower the mask and the guy was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you should have took that off. And he's trying to grab it out from around my ears. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine, dude. I just slid it down. It's all right. And so uh, Maybe you could have slid it up over your eyes. Well, that, I thought about that, actually. I actually did think about that. But uh, but once I you once know, I opened my eyes and saw where I was and closed them back, I was fine. <laughs> then your mind, you you try to think of other stuff, and most of the time you can. I had decent music playing. I had Stone Temple Pilots radio on Pandora playing, and the headphones they put on you. They actually ask you what station you want, and uh, so then your mind during that twenty minutes, you 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 manage to get your mind off of what you're doing, and then. It, about every five to seven minutes, you'll go back into that thought for about a minute about what would happen if this thing filled up with water or if the earth ended right now and I was <laughs> stuck in this tube and shit like that. Then you go back to the music. And so it's only torture really for about five minutes of your mind panicking on what if. Well, who, first of all, you shouldn't have to say I'm not claustrophobic. Every uh, everyone is claustrophobic. Like who's like you know what I love getting in a coffin, submerging it in water, and uh, relaxing. <laughs> like no, like not everyone's claustrophobic. True. If you're True. like you know what I love being a, a cave in Thailand for two weeks uh, after soccer <laughs> well, practice. Well, that's why I said mostly. I'm not mostly. Yeah, I'm not claustrophobic unless I'm shoved in a barrel with the top put on with no <laughs> lights for a week. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, and at some point you start to think that what would happen if I got stuck in there for a week? Then it would be panic. Twenty minutes is hard enough. Um, I was trying to. At some point, you start thinking about how would you climb out of here if you had to. I'm not exactly the most agile person in the world after all the health issues I've had. All right. So it wasn't like I was going to slide yeah, out. Yeah, but I like mean, a, it, it seems like a pretty rare occurrence that the MRI machine floods. You would. You would think. You would think, but you know. You know. Yes, you you think that's a rare occurrence. Yep. So we had a uh, PG one of our PGA pro ams at Magnolia Grove on Monday, which Magnolia Grove is part of the Robert Trenton Jones Trail. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, that is a series of 
golf facilities that they built throughout Alabama in the early 90s. Most of the facilities are 36-hole championship course, two courses, two 18-hole courses, and then a, um, um, a either a 9- or 18-hole par 3 course, which they call the short course. Um, so they're good facilities. Um, a PGA uh, club pro-ams are basically a PGA professional, and then you have three amateurs from your club usually, and you play what's called dogfight points. And um, it's it's a fun format. And they normally play these courses kind of short. And uh, the the Falls course, the Falls 18, which we played, is is exceptionally hard 18. They've redone it a couple times since the original design and made it easier. It's where we played most of our golf when I was at South Alabama. And uh, but I haven't played it in almost fifty years. That, or, excuse me. <laughs> wow, wow! <laughs> I haven't played it in almost fifteen years. I'm sorry. Could it could yeah. be longer than that? But it's been at least fifteen years. Um, and so it um, there's a there's several um, blind tee shots out there. So it's not you, you kind of need to have played it recently. But also in these pro ams, we normally play it pretty kind of pretty short. In fact, if there's any gripe by some of the better pros, they think that we play it too short. So we'll play it like 64, 6,500 yards from the, for the back for the pros. Well, they have this sucker set up at 6,700 and it's a par 71. So that's more like a 6,800 yard par 72, which is pretty long for me right now. Um, we played the ball down, which was a mistake. There wasn't any casual water, but there was mud. Your ball, you had mud balls all day if you hit it in the fairway, which is you almost never see the PGA Tour guys have mud balls because they play it up if there's any chance they're going to get mud on it. Right. And so what that means by play it up is they let they allow you to move the ball usually a scorecard length in your own fairway, no closer to the hole. We did not do that. It was in that case. Can you wipe the ball off too? Wipe yes. The mud off the ball? Yes, you pick up the ball, clean it. And then replace it. So it's key. That that's the key for the pros. They're not worried about the, those guys' lies. They, they don't want mud on the ball because mud on your ball acts basically like having a fin on your ball. And so your ball right. can go any which direction when it gets up in the air. You you cannot hit very accurate shots with a mud ball. And 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 right. those guys they don't want those guys on TV not you know having that kind of outside influence on the ball. Sure. So it's a frustrating thing to kind of play in. Um, mud is frustrating to play in anyway, from a just from a hitting standpoint. Even if your ball's clean, so it was and it was hot. Those courses are, are cut right out of jungle. I mean, you feel like you're playing in South America or something, and so there's not a lot of wind going through there. And I played awful. My team played awful, except for David Del Champs. He played pretty well. Uh, my other two players are George Vance, who actually works on our maintenance crew at Isaiah City, and uh, Alan Bar- Bartoli, who also plays out at Isaiah, who's a who's a, a good good golfer, young young guy. He's probably thirty five in the medical sales. Um, I play quite a bit of golf with him, and and David Delchamps, who's Sonny's brother. We talked about Sonny in previous episodes, being my original boss at Isaiah City. So pretty fun, pretty fun team, but we played, I mean, we were, so it's dogfight points. You're trying to be plus basically if you shoot even par, if we all shot what our points are supposed to be, you would be even. We were minus 20. Oh, wow. I was minus 10 of that myself. 
Um, and in saying this, here's a little lesson to our listeners who play golf and play in events, whether it be a scramble or whatever it is. I kind of had, I started off kind of poor and I kind of had the, I wouldn't say I gave up, but I didn't stay in there mentally in the middle and the end of my round and kind of swatted some putts around that I might normally mark instead of just trying to finish out. And I ended up tied for a three-way tie for second for most points, even me being minus 10. And um, one shot would have, I would have made like 80 bucks instead of 20. So, right. um, That, uh, you know, had I, had I, concentrated on every shot let's say i would have certainly shot one shot better so i should know that lesson by now i played enough golf everybody who's who's been in that position before knows it's not something you purposely do but it just some days it's just hard to keep that concentration you just want to be anywhere but there which is certainly a first world problem isn't it yeah, I'd say so. Um, but anyway, so thanks for, thanks to Magnolia for hosting that though. That was uh, it was fun to play that course after all these years. Um, that course was hard enough in college. I can remember Heath Slocum probably shot the best score of any of us ever shot out there, and it was seventy. I mean, wow. that's saying something for a lot of good college golfers that played a lot of golf on that course. I played that course. I played the one in Birmingham. They're hard courses. I think they're too hard for uh, – I said this the other day on the phone, but for your average golfer that just wants to have a resort weekend, uh, they're challenging, overly challenging. Yes, for for what they were designed for, which was to attract tourist golfers from outside the state or for, from inside yeah. the state to travel around the state and play, they are particularly hard. Um, probably a mistake. I don't know how much repeat tourism you get to those. Um, maybe right. some because the facilities are nice, um, but uh, yeah, they're 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 pretty hard. So, but nice facilities, all of them. Uh, you know, golf's hard because it's like I mean, the ping pong table is not hard, but ping pong is hard. Like golf's the same way. You don't have to make the course hard to make the game hard. Well, you know? golf is hard. Okay, that's a good good point. Bring up golf. Golf is hard anyway. So let's say you play golf on a regulation golf course. Everybody had the same like a ping pong table was. And it was just all flat or whatever, and you know, yeah. it's still hard. But yes. then, what you when yeah. you throw in golf, all the all the variables of uphill lie, downhill lie, side hill lie, side hill downhill, uh, ball in the rough, ball in the fairway, ball in the dirt, ball in a root, ball in the really long rough, ball in the bunker, ball plugged in the bunker, ball in the lip of the bunker. I mean, you know, there's so many variables and different shots that you need to know how to hit at least have some confidence in hitting them, you know, and there's always, you went full, uh, you went full Bubba from Forrest Gump. You were like shrimp cocktail, shrimp sandwich, barbecue shrimp. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of hard lies out there for sure. Definitely. Oh, that's good, Corey. Uh, Yeah. Oh yeah. Blacked out. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's uh, a hard game. Challenge. It's a hard game. I think that's what you know. They say uh, there's an old saying, and I don't say it much anymore because I, I said it once. But golf's like sex; you don't have to be good at it to enjoy it. And like someone was like, ha, ha, ha. "I feel sorry for your wife." I was like, "Oh, it's just a joke." Just a joke. <laughs> so uh, big weekend in college football. Did you watch any college football, Corey? 
Yes, I absolutely did. So, uh, obviously, Alabama lost. First time in 19 games or something. First one in a one. They had won 19. They were trying to win 20. Yeah, is that how that works? They lost. That's that's the second time that's happened. Um, Yeah, so that was a big deal because Texas A&M wasn't supposed to have a chance against their 18-point underdogs. Now, um, it was interesting because I caught Nick Saban talking about Texas A&M and trying to warn the fans and his team, I guess, in this press conference that that they were a good team and a and uh, and he called it right. So that was that was interesting. And they were I was kind of that was a late game. I think it came on at eight. Yeah, maybe seven. I it was in between twelve hour shifts, so I kind of had it on, but I was in and out of consciousness trying to watch it. Yeah, I watched the whole thing, and uh, it's funny with Alabama fans, you know, because I'm friends with so many people on Facebook from Birmingham, and a lot, and people immediately were like, that was horrible coaching. The coaching staff should be embarrassed. And I was like, man, it must be weird to, like, not be able to meet the own standard that you created. Uh, yes, I've said that all along about Saban. I'm surprised he's I, – I thought he would have flamed out b- before now, but he's just been able to keep doing it. At some point, you're not going to be able to keep doing it unless you just leave after one of them. I mean, you know, you just can't yeah, keep I mean, meeting your own. And now you have people, even national people, you know, we talk about Dan Patrick on this show all the time, talking about it's good for college football that Alabama lost. Let's shake it up a little bit. I mean, those those are what sportscasters are starting to talk about. It very may well be, but, I mean, that he's built – I mean, he must be uh, – the greatest college football coach in history. And so for him to lose one game and, you know, he's essentially uh, 19 and one in his last 20 games. And people are like, you've lost your touch. Right. Like, yeah, we've been dominant because of what I did. Now suddenly, you know, everyone can lose. Somebody. It's the same with. Go ahead. Same with Clemson. You know, Clemson's not having a great season, but I mean, occasionally you have to reload. I mean, you know, Kentucky doesn't win NCAA basketball tournament every year, nor does Duke. Um, no, I agree. You know, the, the, expect, the expectations are unbelievable. They are. People. They are. They hardly ever even get to see a close game, let alone a loss. Right. So, And, of course, Alabama still can make it right back to the national championship if they win out. I mean, if they win out, they're probably going to beat Georgia in the SEC uh, championship yeah. game. So they still, they still hold their own – destiny so to speak so i don't mean you know you're the host i don't want to move move on on. you're fine but uh we got a couple interesting nfl stories one is urban meyer and the other is john gruden and and they're both knuckleheads for different reasons yeah to me okay so the urban meyer story to me is not that big a story to me in this day and age i really don't think i mean it doesn't paint him as a as a very good married man necessarily, but, but it also, it doesn't mean that either. You know, a girl was dancing provocatively with him, with her back turned to him at a bar. Um, I think the, um, I, I think if you hear the, all the information together, it makes it actually look worse though. Cause you, you know, he didn't fly home with the team because they were already yeah, playing in yeah. Cincinnati and he wanted to stay up there and see his grandkids. And then, Maybe that was one of his grandkids. <laughs> She's about the right age, isn't she? And yeah, so then, yeah. then instead, they get this video of him at a bar 
drunk. Oh, well, a, a, you know, seemingly drunk with a girl dancing on, on his, not on his lap. They're both standing up. But she's back, backing that ass up into him. That's the technical term for that <laughs> yes. dance move, backing that ass up. That, um, also, a couple things about this. That ass up. His hand was also mysteriously disappeared. Well, I didn't, I didn't see all that uh, part, but, I, you know, that offends yeah, and, my, my sensibilities, Corey, so I don't want that. And he wasn't, at, he wasn't at a random bar. He was at, like, Urban Meyer's yes, Steakhouse. Yes, he was at his steakhouse, yes. But to me, that's, you know, so, if he was winning, it wouldn't be as big a story. If he starts winning again, it, that goes away. Um well, it just seems like everyone's like if you do something like this and no one likes you, then they're like, "Ah, oh, see what this guy did." Like it just seems like no one likes the guy. He's no, he's terrible. he's clearly not doing a great job. Well, he ha- he's just he has the um I mean, he's got the uh the reputation of being sleazy, slimy kind of. I mean, you know, he you know, he left Florida on health reasons to spend more time with his family and then he immediately was an espn announcer and immediately then a, the ohio state football coach and it just it, he seems right. phony so yeah. i you know yeah that was bad that was bad i mean but you gotta understand you're gonna get caught on video these days but that's what this that's a good time to this show that's what alcohol does to you it makes you do shit you wouldn't normally do he went yeah. there probably to 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 Press the flesh a little bit, no pun intended. <laughs> well, he achieved his goal. <laughs> I meant yeah. shaking, you know, he went there to check on things, have a drink or two. He had a few too many, it looked like, and started feeling good and decided, well, I mean, maybe <laughs> I'll see the grandkids tomorrow. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. what alcohol will do to you. Now, I, as I've said on the show before, I'm not against drinking whatsoever. If I had more than 2% of my liver left, I'd probably still be trying to soak some of that percentage up. But, um, <laughs> But it does make you do stupid things. Anybody who drinks, and especially drinks a lot, knows that it makes you do stupid things. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're tragic. And sometimes they're just make you look like an imbecile like this particular time. That sounds like a a Hallmark card you'd send to someone in rehab. (laughs) So you're in rehab. Sometimes comedic. Sometimes traumatic. And often pathetic. Cheers. So I, I I said going into this, I wasn't going to talk about John Gruden tonight, but you brought it up, so we'll talk about it. Raiders, he's a pretty famous guy. He, he won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I can't remember, late 90s, early 2000s. And then has been a pretty famous ESPN commentator. And uh, he he's had an unprecedented contract, uh, 10 years, $100 million, and, and what? When, it, and was also one of the most sought after coaches. Every coaching search for the last ever since he left Tampa, college and pro. Yeah, I, I mean, everyone's tried to get him, and he finally came out of retirement, and he took on. Uh, I, I keep saying the Oakland Raiders. It's Las Vegas, right? But Raiders. I think he did start with them in Oakland, yeah, didn't he? He did, and then moved them to, or did he start fresh in Las Vegas? No, I think that he was in Oakland. I think they only been there two years. Because this but is his fifth fact, year or his fourth year. Yeah, someone will fact check that, I'm sure. Yeah. One of our many fans. Yes. Um, anyway, to make a short story endless, which is my specialty, he, uh, he's he been caught. He sent some emails that were subpoenaed in a an investigation of the Washington football team, formerly known as the Washington Redskins. And so he had had some communication with someone there, 
on an email. And so they, they got all these emails from him where he made a lot of derogatory comments about a, lot, a variety of different people. Um, and then I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So the first email that came out was an email that he had sent to the players association president mm-hmm. and who is, uh, who is a black gentleman. And the comment said, referred to his lips as big as Michelin tires. Oh boy. And maybe even the term rubber of some sort with that. Okay. Yeah, which was obviously construed as a racist comment, and so John at that point started wiggle around a little bit in the press and kind of half-ass apologizing, and the owner didn't say much, and so the networks were speculating what's going to happen. So he, I think this was before the game. This came out this weekend, maybe Saturday. The game was on Sunday. Well, um, then on Monday, some more emails leaked out, and it turns out he was an equal opportunity offender and offended the LBGQT. Yeah. What's the say that acronym? LGBT, LGBTQ. Yes, he offended them and a couple other groups, I believe. I haven't seen the exact emails. Um, but but there was a string of emails um, offending basically several groups of different people, and so he was then he he actually resigned from the Raiders. But um, admit, I, I'm sure the owner came to him and said, "Hey, you can resign, or I'm going to fire you." Basically, they got rid of him, um, which they should well, have. Yeah. Which they should have. You can't send those kind of emails. And, and he tried to wiggle out of the um, the Michelin comment by saying that he he was just saying that he was a liar. He was rubber rubber lips. That that meant he was a liar. But uh, maybe. But yeah. you, you still got to be smart enough that you can't say what he said. I'm because he pretty much offended everyone. That people are like, oh, people should be so so sensitive. But he was like, he tried actively to. In 2014, uh, that was the first openly gay draft drafty. Well, he made, a, Sam, he, he made a comment. He made a comment. I, I don't remember if it was on 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 a show or in an email there. He made a comment about about so and so shouldn't have drafted a queer. Yeah, yeah, that was an so, email. Yeah, and he, he said, you know, female reporters shouldn't move up in the ranks. I mean, it was like, and weren't there, wasn't there something about some uh, Washington uh, football team cheerleaders that were naked pictures of? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. His brother I mean, coached the Washington football team at some point. Jay. Uh, Gruden. Right. Jay. Yeah. So, okay. But here, so here, and here's the thing. I want to say this right now. John Gruden was ridiculous in what he said and should have absolutely been fired. But there's something else going to come out of this if this doesn't just disappear. And Dan, Dan Patrick has been writing this hard. So these emails were leaked, and nobody knows who leaked them. And they were right. leaked from an investigation, an ongoing investigation into the Washington football team where right. they have 650,000 emails right. that, they're, that they're investigating. And somehow six of them got, or however many, I'm just going to say six, got leaked that were all about John Gruden being a bigot. So Dan Patrick's take on this is somebody 
maybe the NFL was after John Gruden to get him out of his job. Now, yeah, yeah. we'll say yeah. over and over that he's not, he would have fired Gruden also, and he's not defending Gruden by any means. What they're, where they're going with this is trying to uncover the bigger story. Why, yeah, why is there 650,000 emails? There's got to be some emails between the owners and all these because they're, they're investigating the football. They're investigating Dan Snyder, who is the owner of the, um, of the Washington football team. Like you said, formerly the Redskins, um, so it's it's a little bit weird that who, who leaked them and why is it only about John Gruden? There's got to be other stuff in there. And is somebody going to blackmail somebody with these? Everybody remember now the, the Roger Goodall, the commissioner, is hired by the owners and works for the owners, if everybody doesn't know that. Right. He does not work for it. The, the league is the owners. That's why the players have their own representation, their own thing. but. The Roger Goodell works for the owners. So while right. he also tries to protect the players where he can, that's not who pays him. No. And and so, you know, there's no telling what could be in those emails between owners. I mean, oh, I, would, yeah. I would think well, that also, owners would uh, chat John about Gruden things. also and, uh, criticized Roger Goodell. He, you know, he used the uh, gay slang um, about Roger Goodell because at the time it was the strike. They come out like this, and oh well, I mean that guy was, and those people that marched in, you know, Charleston with those tiki torches. Oh well, they are. You know, it's just a weird like you just can't if you get exposed saying crazy racist things, you just get what's coming to you. Doesn't matter about the technology. Doesn't matter who leaked them. Like no, you're right. You're right. It doesn't. Corey, what about some opera talk? Got anything on your mind today? You know, I didn't even. It's uh, a great question. Typically, I usually have a uh, story in mind, and uh, I, I guess what's, uh, what's next for you? You got anything else coming up that you're traveling for or performing in Pensacola or not around here? I'm, 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 I'm going. Uh, I'm going back to Detroit in the first of November and uh, doing a. Uh, it's a very strange gig. They're auditioning a conductor. So they're going to have a piano rehearsal with us singing the first act of Giovanni, Don Giovanni by Mozart, and then doing some other excerpts from operas. And he'll conduct us with piano and then conduct us with the orchestra. Um, So, you know, at this stage of my career, it's always just nice to uh, go make a little music, travel a little bit, see something new. Um, And after uh, that crazy 12 hour gig last time I was there, I, uh, want to do a victory lap. Um, also, I have to say about that 12-hour uh, opera I did, a review came out, and a guy sat through all 12 hours, which I don't think anyone's ever done that. In that did piece. you have to give him a defibrillator after? Well, I don't I mean, I, I got to write him and be like, did you pee? I mean, he stayed. And I saw a guy sitting in different positions kind of all day writing in a notebook. I'm sure that was him. Um, but it was pretty crazy. What was his review? He loved it. He thought it was great. And it was an interesting review because he's like, I was skeptical. I thought this was insane. You know, I didn't know what it would be like over the 12 hours, but he kind of got it. He thought it was kind of a cool experience. And, uh, yeah, he had really nice things to say and kind of well-written. And as someone who has been reviewed often, 
you know, I don't mind getting a bad review or a good review as long as it's written well. And he was very kind and it was a very good article, you know. Um, so, so, you know, it's funny. I can just, I remember, um, you know, the, the, the two, the one I remember mainly going you to see was the one here in Mobile that you did the Merry Widow. Yeah. Um, just because it was a good show and it was a good, I've said this before, but it was a good kind of starter opera for me because it's in English and it's a comedy. Um, and it was good. I remember that. And I've seen you, I actually went to, do you remember what I was watching you in? And in, in, was it New York city opera? Yeah. Carmen. It was, uh, the famous French Bizet opera, Carmen. Um, and everyone listening to this has heard something from Carmen for sure. Yeah, that was good. And that was that brings me back to visiting you in New York, which is coming up. We <laughs> usually do it like the first or second week. And no, we usually do it the first week in November. Yeah. Because it was right after Halloween. Because I remember it would be just like this down here. It'd be hot. And I'd be yeah. like, gosh, thank God. When I go to New York, I hope it's cold. And I remember a couple trips it was okay. It never snowed or anything. But a couple trips it was pretty chilly, which I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I was only there for three days. Yeah, for so sure. It's fun to be able to put on a jacket and a scarf and not sweat your bones out. Listen, uh, I think Chandler and I are going in December. You should come. Well, uh, well, whoever's in our old apartment, we'll just ask them to leave for three yeah, days. Yeah, I'm sure I'd be a joy walking around New York with my neuropathy. You'd have to get me one of those little, <laughs> uh, one of those little carts like you drive in Walmart. I'll carry you on my back like the guy in uh, Game of Thrones. Yes, that would be good. Uh, Like the dumb giant carries that kid on his back. That'll be (laughs) us in New York. That would be the perfect job for you, actually. Yeah, how much you pay? Actually, I like it. You know how much I pay. You've caddied for me a few times. (laughs) Yeah. So um, it was funny. You know, uh, I was watching just uh, this occurred to me last night while I was watching. um, I, I was watching Tombstone which is a great movie with Kurt Russell and um, Val Kilmer. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, I watched a whole documentary on Val Kilmer the other day and about how he was going to do that whole Mark Twain thing. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. That's good. And then he got throat cancer and couldn't talk anymore, so he never really yeah. could do the Mark Twain thing. He was kind of yeah. – he rehearsed it and was – they showed a couple of clips from it. It was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I read his autobiography. It was excellent. Well, that, that was a shame. That, that kind of ending to that. Um, yep. But uh, but anyway, so I'm watching Tombstone, and well, it's a classic movie for me. It's one of those that I probably would never put in, but whenever I catch it on TV, I usually watch it from where it is till the end. Yeah. And I just happened to catch it the other night, right when they were going into the casino slash bar scene, where, where the one where Billy Bob Thornton's at the table. Right. And the one where um, Ringo and... Um, and Doc Holliday meet for the first time and he does the twirl into the gun and the Val Kilmer mocks him by twirling the, the whiskey cup yes. around and all that. But I, I found myself so watching this bar scene go on and how even in this dirty uh, Western town with dirt floors and they're all dressed to the nines, you know, in these suits and stuff, talk about sweating your ass off. Um, pretending to be sophisticated, but they're in this bar and they're all having fun. And I found myself for a brief moment, like, Oh, how nice that would be. You know, they're just, they're glamorizing it just enough in the movie. Yeah. Right. Um, 
And then I, it just shot, Dad, don't worry. It's not that kind of feeling, but it just <laughs> shot through me for me. I'm like, yes, that's the greatest. You know, people sitting around drinking and cutting up. And uh, right. Curly Bill throws all the money he won up in the air after that and says, drinks are on me. And it's like, woo, you know, it's all glamorized Hollywood bar scene. Sure. But, but it, it's it's funny, though, how, how Hollywood does that. Even in this yeah. raunchy type Western, you know, movie. Um, and, and again, that I don't say that in a blamatory way. I have a smile on my face as I'm saying this. Um, but, but that, you know, people associate drinking with good times and fun. And, and it is for most people. It is. I'm not yeah, preaching. Yeah. I'm just saying it's funny when I see scenes like that. Now the way my mind looks at them a little differently. Um probably be it that I'm not under the influence of a liter of vodka as well. Right, sure. Um, but it's but it's funny and it almost made me miss the bar scene a little bit because I used to hang out with a lot of cowboys that would do gun tricks at bars. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sure you it did. really it really hit close to home. Yeah. You know? Yeah, when well, you're out drinking in uh Arizona with those dirt <laughs> floors. Yeah, you got a spittoon under you. I mean that's where I learned yeah. to play blackjack, Corey. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. Uh, what else you got going on, Corey? You going to come over here and play golf pretty soon? Yeah, I'd love to. Maybe when uh, things slow down a little bit. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We should document that. I should probably film it. Um, we should. We should probably take some video. Of that. All right, next time. I played today. Again, it was hot. The course is in great shape. Um I played pretty good today. I did some dumb stuff, but I, I made a lot of putts today, and I shot two under with, with six birdies, so I was pretty happy with that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. Pretty four of the last six, so it was kind of one of those rounds that snuck up on me. Wasn't, was just kind of fighting it all day, and then birdie four of the last six always helps. Let me ask you this. Like, I probably – probably the best score I've ever shot is, like, 77. And I probably shot in the 70s uh, – On I could count it on one hand – now, if I had all the money in the world and all the time in the world, and I just quit my job, hired a teacher to work with me every day, could I break par? Yes. 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 You think? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. I, I think yeah. it's a you little bit. Of- you could definitely shoot even par. So if you can shoot even par, you can break par. But, but there's, there, there, there's, there's a, something mental between even par and one under. Even there's for, just also there's even, a genetic component, I think. Well, but you're you you yeah you could do it under those circumstances. And and in saying that, not everybody could. Uh, don't think that. Um, I've seen all kinds of statistics on what your average golfer actually shoots, and, and the percentage of average golfers that actually ever really break ninety is not nearly as high as you think. There's a bunch of guys hey, out there going right now. I shoot 81. I, I I should be able to shoot even par soon, but you're really probably shooting 87 the way you're playing. And um, you need to be honest with yourself if you're. And I'm just not talking about from a cheating standpoint, but how much you know we move the ball in the fairway a lot in our games. But are you moving it in the rough? Are you moving it out of the way of trees? Are you not counting a certain amount of shots? Are you picking yeah, up? At du- are you picking up a double and counting it as? You know, when you're going to make an eight, you're taking a double. That's not really breaking it. So if you're trying to shoot a real score, I'm not saying you got you can't ever touch the ball and you you can't loosen the rules just a little bit, but you can't. You know, there's there's a 
there's a line there that you can't be crossing and then tell me you shot 81. So and I'm not talking about right. you. I'm talking about any golfer in general. So, you know, I'm good about some of our games are like that. And we, we do pick up at double and, um, but I'm not going to come in and tell you I shot 70. If I picked up a double and I was going to make an eight. I mean, I right. might, I might take a four footer for double and tell you I made a double. But if it's not a legitimate double, then I'm I'm then I'm then I don't qualify it as a score that right. I'm gonna repeat. Yeah. And I think that's kind of gotta be your mindset when you're trying to shoot scores for the first time. So yeah, but I think you could do it. I think I think it wouldn't take that much to do Okay, it. well hang on, hang on just a second. Hey Siri, please send a note to Chandra. Tell her I'm gonna quit my job, <laughs> hire a full-time golf coach, and make a living in golf. Thank you. Um yeah, and, well, I like that. And, and, the, always, per, and the person you're going to hire is me, and I'm going to quit my job. And she's going to support us I, both. Yeah, this I think is a good idea. You can move right in. Um, yeah, I don't know. I uh, I've, I flirted with being a good golfer at times, but I just never, um, you know, it's about too late, I think. I think my, my good golfing days are behind me. Um, yes, you are getting old extremely fast, so... Um. <laughs> But but yes. but that's where you know part part of that uh, caveat on you doing this is also playing the right set of tees. So as you get older, you just move up a set of tees, and that's fine. Uh, I, I, that's one of the greatest things that's happening in golf. I'm not going to say it already happened, but it's definitely happening. Is is guys have gone from trying to be macho, and not all of them. Some of them still trying to be macho, but guys have gone from from trying to be macho and playing the furthest tees they can play to happily moving up a set of tees. We have got, we have groups at our golf course. That the guys will play the women's tees and, uh, right. and that's fine. Why not? Why can't, I mean, if you know, Bryce and those guys get to hit Bryce is not a good example. If Colin Morikawa gets to hit a six iron into a par five, why can't you do it occasionally? You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, play a set of tees that fits you. There's no reason to be the tough guy that has to play the blue tees. I play the white tees. It is a, I could play the blue tees and probably only be a couple shots worse on average, but why, why do yeah. it at this point? I'm 48. Maybe if I'm getting close to a tournament that I'm going to play in, I scoot back to the blue tees for a while to prepare, but why punish myself every day? I mean, golf's supposed to be fun. And I'm going to tell you this, that the T length does make a little bit of a difference. But if you're a golfer at your golf course and you play the white, let's call them white tees, that's traditionally what's been the middle set of men's tees or the second closest, go out tomorrow and play the ladies' tees at your course that you play every day. Play two sets of tees up. And if you think you're going to go out there and shoot 65, good luck. Yeah, you're not. Good yeah. luck. Tell I'd like, you know, anybody who's listening and wants to do it, go do it and just tell me what you shot. Tell me how much better yeah. than your handicap you shot because you still have to get it in the hole. I mean, yeah, you got opportunities on more opportunities on par fives, but to be honest with you, you've also got more opportunities to really screw up the par fours, especially the short ones. You start getting a little too aggressive, and even if you hit a good aggressive shot to a par four and you're fifty-five yards short of the green, right? How good are you at hitting a fifty-five yard wedge onto a green as opposed to a hundred yard wedge? Right. No, a lot of people do have a little chunk and skull issues from 55 yards, even in the middle Absolutely. of the fairway, including low handicap golfers. Um, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So it's, 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 there's a little more to it than that. Um, but, but in saying that, I think y you also shouldn't be out there having to hit 
um, three and four wood into every par four. Don't do that to yourself. Golf right. supposed to be fun. At least, at least ha- give yourself an opportunity to play well. Um, so yeah, that's my preaching for today. Maybe to make myself feel better about playing the white tees and <laughs> no, and right. the gold tees on Thursday. Tomorrow's my gold tee game, Corey. So, but but in, nice. and in saying that, um, from the gold tees, I have shot sixty. The gold tees being our senior tees, they probably play. I'm not even sure what the art is. Probably fifty eight hundred. I've shot 65 once from the golds, but other than that, I haven't burned it up from, from the golds. Cause like I said, you still have to get it in the hole and you're just hitting some, you know, more squirrely yeah. wedges. The par fives. I think I played last time I played them, which was only a week ago or so. Maybe it was two, t- two Thursdays ago. I, I didn't have a birdie on a par five from the gold tees that day. So it's not just automatic. I mean, you still have to hit golf shots. Certainly sure. though, it puts you in a position to be able to shoot a better score, which for everybody equals more fun. So yeah. Amen. All right. What else, Corey? Anything else tonight? That's all I got. Um, again, follow me at Colin McKern on Twitter. You can email us at golfdrinkinglife at gmail.com. Um, don't forget if you're in the Birmingham area and need golf lessons, Paul Taylor is your guy at Oak Mountain State Park. His email address is P D Taylor, T A Y L O R. 88 at gmail.com um our episodes come out once a week we usually release them early thursday morning or right after midnight on wednesday night so we are on all of your most of your available podcast networks including apple Podcasts, spotify pandora um, google podcasts wherever you get your podcast from Corey, i'm coming over to visit you tomorrow i think yeah i'm gonna enjoy that be Looking good to, to be good. Be good to see you and your kids. I will uh, text you my order for lunch and dinner and breakfast. <laughs> you got and it. And I expect those to be ready when I ring the bell. Yes, sir. You got it. All right. Enjoy it, Corey. Right, take care, everybody. Yep. Take care. You just gotta keep living, man. L I V I N. Mm-hmm.